Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass. I'm your host, Sam, from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass. And I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. Yes, you are. Uh, Each week we get together, we talk about cars, motorsport, F1... Car, what else? Cars? Cars? We cars, cars, cars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash behind the glass. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. And Tony, if people want to support this podcast, what should they do? Watch it. No. <laughs> but also head to Patreon. You can support us on patreon.com forward slash behind the glass. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello one and all, and welcome to After the Checkered Flag, the F1 special series here on Behind the Glass, my podcast. I'm Sam from the YouTube channel Seen Through Glass, and alongside me once again, it's Paul Wallace from Supercars of London. Am I now officially a regular? I think you are now officially the co-host of After the Checkered Flag. I haven't signed a contract yet, but I'm looking forward (laughs) to that. Nor has Tony, but never tell him that. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm always terrified that he'll suddenly go, Sam, can we just talk? I was like, no, no. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Yes, if you are fans of the usual Behind the Glass podcast and you don't know what we're doing here and why Paul's here and Tony's not, uh, this is the additional content we do, the additional series called After the Checkered Flag, where this year we sit down to review each Formula One Grand Prix. I say that, but we actually did miss one. We missed Portugal. (laughs) We missed Portugal, and then we did a very dodgy virtual one for Imola. And anyway, long story short. (laughs) I promised that I would be here every Monday, whether you are here or not. Moving forward, Paul will be here every single week to review the Grand Prix. Um, But yeah, it's just a chance for us to nerd out on a sport we love, and and a sport which I think is becoming more popular. I agree. Because of Netflix, Drive to Survive, there's people that never considered F1 who are now like, oh, I love that Daniel Ricciardo guy. Every, Every race weekend, I get new WhatsApp messages from friends from school, university that are tuning in, which is great because it just means that it's becoming more mainstream and hopefully... Well, we'll be less nerdy. (laughs) We won't look like aliens. Yeah, we won't be so shunned. I hope, though, all those new fans that are starting to, you know, get turned on by F1 didn't decide to tune into their first Grand Prix the weekend that's just been the Monaco Grand Prix because, (laughs) let's just come out and say it, what a boring race. Yeah, well, I feel like there was so much hype leading up to the Monaco Formula One Grand Prix, as there is every single time the Monaco Formula One is happening, for good reason. Not because we get good races, but because the before and after bit is normally quite exciting. We get to see the celebrations, we get to see the parties. Every Formula One driver dreams of winning Monaco, for no idea why. But then obviously the the, the beginning of this race in particular was um, exciting, but also heartbreaking for many people. (laughs) Don't. For myself. (laughs) I would say the reason that the drivers get so excited and the reason that I get so excited, I still think it's kind of the ultimate test Mm. of a driver's endurance it's a different different, um discipline it's a i think exactly that it's a fantastic display of just how precise and relentless a formula one driver can be Mm. and of course you've got to look at it as a grand prix weekend not just the race and there are multiple tests especially of course saturday that one lap that you've got to absolutely nail and some people didn't nail but we're going to come on to that (laughs) um uh you know and so we're going to get into of course the should there still be a Monaco Grand Prix? Because it's the ultimate question we have to ask every year. But fundamentally, I think yes, just to kind of skip ahead of ourselves. Um, Is that the end of the podcast now? Yeah. yeah. Like, should we just go? We'll just finish it there. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, in modern day Formula One, it does tend to lead to very processional, very boring races, of which this was peak 
processional mm. and dull. So I do hope any new potential F1 fans aren't judging the sport on that one race and deciding, well, <laughs> I'm not going to watch this. What a load of crap. Because there, was a, there were a lot of storylines. There's a lot of intrigue to discuss over the weekend. We're just going to struggle to really get much out of the actual race. I know. We're going to have to wait until next March to get quite an exciting episode that Netflix produce about Monaco. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> That'll be the most exciting part yeah. of the Monaco Grand Prix 2021. It's coming into Formula One next year. We're going to really look forward to Monaco next year and then realise it's normally quite dull. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there are, as I say, lots of things to talk about outside of the actual Grand Prix, but we're going to, we're going to follow the same formula we always do. Do you oh. know it's raining today right now in Monaco? I know. 24 hours on. But it was it raining on race. Saturday morning or Sunday morning for the F2? Uh, sorry, GP2. Sorry. No, F2. What's it called? Well, there was a huge crash on Sunday morning. That so. was the Alpine regional thing. Anyway, there, yeah, there was yeah. rain across the weekend, but obviously not for any of the Formula 1 Classic. sessions. But yeah, we're going to follow our same format, which is basically to go through the finishing order in reverse order, discussing each person's race. But I think in this situation, their race weekend because mm. that was you know that's where the intrigue and insight or, or, or discussion points uh, came about <laughs> uh, and unfortunately we have to start with just I mean, I, i'm uh, gonna I, cry i'm gonna cry no come on with charles leclerc oh the, he's officially oh, lost yeah of course of course yeah. officially i thought you were going to start by talking about michael uh mick schumacher and his crash and, hey, 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 hey. oh okay don't okay. get ahead of ourselves oh, well, 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 i say plenty to talk about <laughs> from the race weekend <laughs> yeah. as a whole but yeah charles, okay, charles leclerc. leclerc so if you if you missed the headlines the man the myth the legend uh did qualify on pole which we're gonna <laughs> flesh out in a second uh but unfortunately didn't end up starting the grand prix his home grand prix we've seen this so many times over the years of drivers having serious bad luck at their home races. Felipe Massa, I think most famously at Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> Rubens Barrichello as well, actually. Actually, no, sorry, it was Barrichello who was unlucky. Massa did very well in Brazil. Um, but, you know, certain tracks would just seem to not, you know, work out well. For Leclerc, it's Monaco. Mm. Never finished a race in his home Grand Prix yeah. as a Formula One driver. Yeah. The last time he definitely overdrove because he had a bad qualifying session. I remember that race weekend and he was just an idiot out there. He was, but... Today, okay, this this weekend was totally different, a totally different drive. I felt like a more mature qualifying session and I was looking forward to and kind of hoping to see a Ferrari on the top spot. Well, so this is the thing, like coming into Thursday, out of nowhere and out of the box, Ferrari looked quick. Mm. Charles Leclerc obviously missed FP1 through an issue. Carlos Sainz right up there. And then in FP2, they were P1 and P2. I mean, it, it was, was genuine pace. And, and I think at that point, People were like, oh, what's going on here? They're trying to attract some new sponsors or something's going on. Everyone's sandbagging. I was like, oh my God, like jumping off the roof. Like, it's going to happen, they're back. Um, but, but you know, coming into Saturday, proof was in the pudding and they mm. were genuinely fast. And I think there's going to be lots of, we're going to have to assess this, right? Going into the next race, Azerbaijan. Is this genuinely pace from Ferrari? They have looked quick this season. I don't know. We know the clerk's been banging in the solid results. They haven't looked race winning quick. Mm. Have they just suddenly done a whole, found a whole load of pace out of that engine? Did they bring in some specific upgrades for Monaco? Was there a reason why? Where did this race-winning pace suddenly come from? I don't know. And I'm not sure the next race is going to be the best test to see whether they've got that pace because Baku, even though it's a street circuit, it is the most different race comparative to Monaco in the sense it's all straights. It's, it's all like right, 90 degree right angle turns and all straights. So we're going to get one end of the spectrum with Monaco where they look really, really fast. What are they going to do there? Because yeah, well, they've had some pretty decent results in the first few races of the season, but I'm not sure that they're going to come out and be as quick in Baku. Which would be a shame because uh, I kind of want them to be there because it really like puts the rest of the season yeah. in like this, it's such an exciting point yeah. of view. We all thought it was going to be, you know, Hamilton versus Verstappen, but now Ferrari going to get yeah. in the mix as well. I want them to, I want that pace to continue, but we're going to have to wait and see. But no matter what it meant, that going into Saturday were genuine pole contenders. And it was an interesting one because I think we've seen it throughout the year so far. Carlos Sainz has, has, has been able to gel himself into that team so quickly mm. in comparison to Danny Rick, who we're going to obviously talk about, Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel. Carlos Sainz seems to have turned up and been able to go, get on the pace, qualifying and race very quickly. However, when it's counted, Charles Leclerc just being able to find a couple of extra tenths yeah. or, or, or an additional race pace that's just meant that he's been banging in these, these solid results and these solid qualifying laps. So building up to qualifying, I sort of thought, 
science is looking really quick, but I kind of was confident that if anyone was Leclerc was going to be was going to be able to just find that extra couple of tenths again, and mm. and if anyone was going to get on pole, it was going to be him. But and we did text about this. There was a part of me throughout the qualifying session that every time there was a yellow flag, something <laughs> in my gut went, "Please don't be shot. Please don't be shot." Is that though because of his history at Monaco? I think because of his history in general. Now, I love this guy. I, you know, of course, I still admit I am a Hamilton fan, but I think the minute Lewis does retire, I think I am going to be fully behind Charles. Like, yeah. I just think the guy's Jesus. <laughs> um, but... That makes Lewis God. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> we have seen over the years that he does push the limits sometimes a little too far. And listen to a lot of the commentary and listen to a lot of the, you know, analysis... He is a driver that seems to really balance on the knife edge of the limitations of the car and himself. And therefore, he's able to extract these incredible lap times. We're seeing him put Ferraris where they're not supposed to be because he's just so much on that edge. But that leads to mistakes. We saw in Azerbaijan qualifying, you know, a few years ago um, and in Monaco. And we've seen it a number of different times. And so because I knew so much was on the table with a potential pole at his home Grand Prix in a year where Ferrari shouldn't be getting it. You just expected him. I just thought... Into the into the wall. I was like, come on, please don't. But I was just kind of <laughs> waiting for it. Well, if he was going to go into the wall, there was the perfect time to go into the wall. Okay. <laughs> so, I, as I sip my coffee, let me ask you the question before we really overanalyze it. Do you think Charles Leclerc purposefully crashed? No. To secure pole position or it was an accident? No. But I also think if he didn't crash, he wouldn't be sitting on pole. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You think he would have lost it? I think he would have lost it. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's no way that a driver that is born to win, it is in his DNA. And that's kind of what I was going to jump into when you were talking about the way that Leclerc is able to e extract that extra 2% or whatever. I think everything leads up to him one day winning a world championship. If you look back at his racing history, even to the Jules Bianchi and him seeing that, what happened with his dad in F2 and the way that he is built and every experience that he has had up until the moment that he wins this world champ, I genuinely think everything is happening for a reason for him at the moment. And one day everything will click and he will win a world championship. Um, so that, then moving on to this race weekend, I just don't think someone that is that mentally driven to win mm. would would sabotage potentially. Like you cannot, you just cannot. I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, purposefully crash. Obviously, give your entire pit crew a huge amount of work to do. Also, potentially damage the internals of the car, which is what everyone was talking about immediately as he hit the barrier. Um, it was a weird accident, as in he turned yeah. into the corner way too early. Way too early. I think he, if he did, he was kind of hoping, oh, just a little bit of front suspension damage. So this is what and I was going to ask and you. And like, a little front wing. Yeah, this is what I was wanted to jump in because we saw it uh, quite a few times throughout the race. People who were tapping that same barrier and maybe just messing up their front suspension or mm. losing front wing or whatever, or just, you know, meaning that it had to go wide. I, I do not want to think or believe that he... Did anything on purpose. But you do. <laughs> Just based on the reaction that you, I had, you believe you Do you, you know did. why? I didn't until this morning I woke up and I spoke to somebody who who really knows the field. Was, uh, was it Charles? <laughs> <laughs> I was texting Charles. <laughs> no, but I don't want to name him because I think he would be upset that if I revealed. Right. And immediately it was like 100% he did it on purpose. Really? And I was like, no. Yeah, and he was like, oh my God, on. 100%. Right. He didn't mean to smashed the car that much but he was this guy was convinced he put it into the wall put it into himself. the wall on purpose right so we've got to wait let's i'm going to calculate about 15 years if you give or take about 10 years for charles continual career so we're going to have to wait an extra couple of years before Charles can actually spill the beans and tell us the truth as to whether he actually did it we can be like in <laughs> cast your mind back to 2021 he has been on this podcast before, so maybe we'll just try and get him back on and just yeah, ask him face not, to he face. He's not going to drop that bombshell whilst he's still in that Ferrari seat. <laughs> but, you know, proof in the pudding. I don't think he'll ever drop that bombshell because did you hear how much like how much of a hard time the Sky F1 presenters were giving yeah. Nico Rosberg? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Martin Bundle, Dave Croft, everyone 
kept bringing up that time Rosberg went straight on going down towards the hairpin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Rosberg was getting so upset because they were all like, oh, you know, Nico, let's come to you. It's, uh, you know, it's it's why you got to put in that bank lab, isn't it? And, go, and, he, and Nico was dead straight like, yeah, come on. That's not a joke. I didn't. So Sound I don't like think Wolf, then. No, I'm sorry. I don't think Charles will ever admit. But I also, as I say, I don't want to think that he did that. And yeah. also given where he's at in his career and what he's thinking, I would assume he wanted to go out there and and really get pole and nail pole and walk away. It's not a, the right way of having getting pole, is it? But we have seen it. Yeah. Schumacher, Rosberg, and there are probably- All the n- cheats. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start, Schumacher. There are probably another a number of other examples which just weren't so high profile yeah, that yeah. over the years people have done to, you know, it's a great way to get around Monaco very quickly. But the, <laughs> the point which I want to pick up on you made is you said you don't think he would have got pole anyway. That's where I disagree, right? And at the end of qualifying, Verstappen, Bottas, Oh, they signed, all came out. Oh, he's going to get pole! It's the easiest thing to say, isn't it? The easiest thing to say. And there was a great analysis, I think maybe by Mark Hughes or, or by one of the journalists who really dove into, okay. you know, sector times and, and average speeds and all these things like that. And he came away saying, I actually don't think that would have been the case mm. because where they were all up and in com- comparatively and Verstappen said, oh, I lost a couple of tenths there. Even if he'd gained a couple of tenths, he still would have been slower than Leclerc. The point being is it doesn't matter hypothetically what you could have done. I always find it annoying. You always hear these drivers saying, oh, I could have been on well, pole if I hadn't messed up Bottas that corner. Bottas said that in Spain. He was like, oh yeah, I lost two tenths there. Otherwise I would be in pole. But you lost two tenths. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. you're not on pole. Yeah. And the point being in Monaco, you've got to give it everything in that Q3 session because we all know yellow flags and red flags can happen. So you don't take that risk. And on the first time out, whether they'll say, oh, I was building up to my final <laughs> run. Great excuse. Yeah. The point being, Charles was fastest. Yeah. In that first run, whether somebody was only giving 98% instead of 100, well, your mistake for giving 98, Charles was clearly giving 100 and it paid off mm. because at the end of that session, he was on pole. So, And also in the wall. And also Maybe he gave 110%. <laughs> he just did a little bit too far. So I, yeah, my, I want to believe that it was a, an accident and a mistake, but I was shocked to hear someone so involved in the sport. Who said that it could potentially have happened, actually been a thing. And as you say, we'll never know, but whether it was on purpose or not, uh, it obviously didn't work out as planned because mm. yeah, the impact was hard, caused a lot of damage. But interestingly, whilst we were all talking about the gearbox and there was this big question of, oh, has he knocked the gearbox? And Ferrari said, oh, the gearbox looks good. The actual final issue that caused him not to start the race it wasn't the gearbox. was a drive shaft. Yeah. And, and you sent me a, a screenshot of, I think, Bonotto saying, mm. we actually think that potentially the issue was already there or, or was separate, wasn't as a result of the accident. And we saw him sit out all of FP1. So. Yeah, and the damage was on the other side of the car that actually didn't have an impact with the barrier. Whether everything got shunted in the accident or not, we will never know. And we know that Ferrari are very good at bending the truth. Well, yes, and keeping their golden boy looking golden. You know, I think they wouldn't have, you know, it wasn't Charles' fault. The car was broken anyway. But my heart did sink a little bit where when he came on the radio and you heard it in that formation lap, that whatever it he thought it was a gearbox obviously his car didn't feel right it was almost like, come on like i kind of did see it happening don't want to get into this too early but i did put a bet on that charlotte clerk would be the first person to retire um didn't get paid out from that because he didn't even start the race <laughs> classic <laughs> for human classic scamming betting company yeah. Oh. Um, but yeah it was all of that hype then we had that 10, 15 minute period. Was he going to have a pit start? Was he even going to make it? And then he got out of the car and we're like, oh, oh it's over. <laughs> now we've got two hours of drivel. Yeah, I mean, I literally text <laughs> yeah. you saying, well, the race is ruined. Yeah. Because yeah. like, we all knew going to the Grand Prix, it was going to be relatively processional. We, as I say, we've seen it the last five, six, seven years. It's just the the formula that we've got right now of Formula One cars uh, just doesn't suit Monaco for a race. Um, and the minute Leclerc was taken out, I was like, well, that's that. I mean, the, mo- the most like- excited I was for the race was turn one. Yeah, yeah. That old lap one, at least. Because I thought going into the hairpin. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Verstappen. I just thought Verstappen would have had the fire in his belly. He would have been like, look, I've already elbowed Lewis out of a few turn ones this, this year. Leclerc's going to be easy pickings. So you thought it was going to be a huge smash? <laughs> I, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. My, my prediction, shall yeah. we say, uh, was Verstappen was going to lead... Uh, the first lap. Okay. Even if Leclerc was on pole. 
Yeah. Starting on yeah, Polygon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want some money there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Your betting addiction sure. is. No, 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 no. I'm just excited. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so yeah, look, it was a huge disappointment. I think, as you say, another lesson for Charles to learn and hopefully just build his character and, you know. Uh, All of these things that get pulled away from him, I just think are being cemented and tattooed into him for when this, for when his time does come and everything does click. And I think it will come. Yeah, I know. I, I'm confident it will come. <laughs> but it was pretty heart-wrenching for any Leclerc or Ferrari fan. But I think as Formula One fans, Formula you know, fans we were excited general. to see something different. There was potential for this exciting race and, you know, Ferrari back on top. Um, so, yeah, we were all kind of robbed of that. But, hey, this is motor racing. These things happen. Uh, let us know in the comments section below, do you think <laughs> that Charles could have potentially made contact with the barrier on purpose. I'm not going to say he had that crash on purpose, but do you, it just he did turn in very early, but... Did he, you, did he want to red flag the session? Okay. Is the question. Is the question. Oh, God. Please, no. Well, look, we've spent enough time yeah, talking about... I was going to say, my, are we now going to go to P19? Like, <laughs> go down the entire grid like this? Literally. Oh, my God. I think we'll be able to rattle through quite a few of those <laughs> okay. quite quickly. Because single Leclerc was really the only talking point of the whole weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, P19, Bottas. Cool. Uh, no. <laughs> um, bad luck for Bottas. I, felt, I, I did feel really sorry for him. Because in a weekend where the Mercedes was not there, it was mm. clearly having issues, he was able to extract more from the car than Hamilton was. Yeah. And as amazing as Lewis has become as a rounded character, as being able to sort of, you know, drive around issues and blah, 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 not that he has many, way back in the day with Rosberg, it was always Rosberg who could cope in these situations a little better. Mm. He'd read more of the instruction manual. He'd analysed more of the data to be able to see these problems coming and figure th stuff out. And Lewis always seemed a bit frustrated back in the day. I just don't know what to do. I think over the years we've seen him, you know, his brain has been able to, you know, well, he's just got more experience with all yeah. these things. But this weekend when the car didn't seem right, it did seem like Bottas was able to extract a bit more. And then for that, you know, super freaky. It was, it was. When you could see that metal churning and the way that the gun wasn't getting, I was like, oh my God. That's a weird thing. So essentially, I've never seen that. yeah, like re-threaded itself a million times over. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the wheel just basically got stuck. So yeah, unlucky for him because it looked like a solid P2. I don't think he was going to do anything more spectacular than a P2. No. Um, uh, judging by Mercedes' strategy for the rest of the race, they weren't going to try the overcut. They probably would have put him in early, which, you know, I maybe. Think, I think Bottas just saw almost three points against Lewis. I think he saw some nice, yeah. nice championship points there um so to, to kind of walk away i saw his um statement that was just kind of gutted with the amount of work that they'd put into this weekend with the car not being right for him to then have that was really frustrating yeah. i think he'll probably be a bit sulking this morning I mean, surely as well. I know it's race four or something like that, but end of his championship. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is selling his road Mercedes up, I in, up in, where is it, Finland? Yeah, his AMG GT that we all kind of went mad about. Didn't we yeah, a bit of a desperate advert. He said, if you come and get, if you, if you buy it, collect it from the go-karting track and we can go go-karting together. Someone please buy this car. Yeah, I actually bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on, P18, Mick Schumacher. Unfortunately, had the weekend we we've been saying that he didn't want to or need to have. You know, he needed to keep his head down and just you know bring in the consistency. It was a scrappy, messy weekend. Mm. Uh, it made contact with the Barriers a couple of times, obviously in qualifying. Well, I mean, compare his oh, sorry, compare his crash to Leclerc's very small wall tapping comparison, and for Schumacher to be all right for the whole race. It shows that Leclerc and Ferrari did everything they could to confirm that the car was okay for the race, and it was another problem because there's no like Schumacher hit that wall hard oh so hard but yeah. but also the the sort of more point being on the thing to analyze that you know both the bits of contact he made were in free practice sessions mm. which okay fine is a time when you're you know trying yeah. to learn the track and figure things out but also come on mate like yeah, you know yeah. hold well, a bit back yeah, and the, the track limits in Monaco is the wall it's literally <laughs> the wall um and yeah unfortunately it ended up you know, finishing behind Mazepin in the race. Mazepin, I think, had a strong weekend. I would genuinely say he he looked good at various times. He didn't have any of the accidents yeah. that Schumacher did. Um, and 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 finished, even though Schumacher did that great overtake going into the Fairmont yeah. or the Lowe's hairpin, um, which was pretty ballsy and, and pretty reminiscent of his dad. Unfortunately, by the end of the race, he, he did finish yeah. behind Mazepin, which kind of made sense, I think, for that race weekend. I think, so. I think Mazepin shocked a lot of people. Yeah, he had a, had a strong, strong yeah. weekend in Monaco, I think. So fair play to him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was P17 um, Mazepin. So yeah, the Hasses, unfortunately, at the back of the field, as per usual. 
We then move on to Yuki Tsunoda. Mm. This is going to become a bit of a theme with our podcast at the minute. What's happened to Yuki? I don't know. I think he's lost a lot of confidence in himself, in that car. It, 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 the pace is just gone and he's mm. just doing nothing and he looks ragged. He's making little mistakes here and there and he's just not quick. And It's a classic rookie. It's Class, a, well, it? yeah, but like so much potential mm. at the beginning of the year and something's well, I just... I mean, that car's fast as well. Super fast. Pierre Gasly <laughs> up in P6. <laughs> yeah. As we know, that car's fast. We've spoken about the potential in it and he's just going nowhere. So... Mm. I haven't actually I haven't actually seen too many uh, pre or post race interviews with Sonoda, so I don't I can't really judge his character, or I wouldn't be able to give it a good go. Um, he was very invisible during mm. the whole race. There was mm. not much footage at all. So, yeah, he kind of slipped under the radar. But it is kind of disappointing to see what he had right at the beginning in testing to see where he's come now. It's just been like a pretty downward trajectory. That's a hard word to say on a Monday, isn't it? Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's a shame. We all want to see him, you know, with the potential that he had at the start of the year. So it does feel like he's just got a little lost somewhere and someone needs to sit him down and just say, relax. (laughs) It's all going to be all right. Um, But yeah, so P16 for him. Um, Nicholas Latifi and George Russell, P15, P15, P15 and P14. We're going to get onto it at the end. Basically, a lot of this, you know, fundamentally, because the race was so processional, all we're looking at here is the results of qualifying. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously a couple of retirements helped and a couple of clever strategy helped. But yeah, Latifi and Russell, again, a pretty quiet race, didn't they? Latifi yeah. had that accident. Was it in quali or free practice? I can't remember. But he did He did have a bit yeah. of an accident, Latifi. But, uh, you know, nice, nice, to, nice re- to finish. The yeah. Race, I suppose. <laughs> is that how you'd just Surprise com- comment on them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it was, was fine. Um, so yeah, they had a pretty nondescript race. Alonso again, like just grid filler. Grid filler paces. <laughs> oh, we're gonna we can talk about them together actually because Alonso followed home Danny Rick P twelve. Yeah, what is happening with Danny yeah. Rick? He did say I watched a I watched a pre race weekend interview. I think it was with Natalie Pinkham. Pinkham, yeah. Pinkham. Um, and he said recent. I think it was in Spain. Carlos. He said it was the first time that him and Carlos were able to have a conversation, and Carlos said. The car's weird, isn't it? Um, About the McLaren. Interesting. And Danny Rick was like, thanks for telling me now. Yeah. <laughs> and, Cheers, mate. Yeah, and he is saying quite a lot, like, I'm sick and tired of talking about this. I've just got to get my head down and figure it out. Mm. But there is obviously something quite unique about that car in the same sense of that Red Bull with everyone jumping into it. Obviously, Verstappen, the car's being built around him and his driving style. Um it just shows what experience can do with Lando. Obviously, he's a very, very talent, talented and fast driver. But so is Danny Rick. Uh, so, absolutely. No, like, Danny yeah. Rick has not suddenly yeah. lost all of his, like, <laughs> yeah, skills and yeah. ability. I uh, just think it's a really, really weird... It must be a really weird car to drive. Maybe the accelerator's on the left and the brakes on the right. <laughs> you never know with McLaren. <laughs> yeah. um, but the thing is, you're so right. I mean, fundamentally... We know this, and we've spoken about it before, you know, when drivers move teams, they do have to relearn mm. sort of how to drive or how to drive a certain it's, car. It's easy for a spectator to just assume all Formula One drive cars drive the same. That's exactly it. And, and it's not that case. And people do have to get up to speed. And we have seen it a lot in recent years. But it's hard when you see a driver of such a calibre move teams and not be straight on the pace. Yeah. But even if you look at Hamilton back in 20... Um, uh, te- uh, what year did he move to Mercedes? 2013. I don't know. He, he, he was off the pace <laughs> compared to Rosberg. He did manage to get the one win, but Rosberg got two in the end. And he didn't look as competitive. And going in 2014, he had that experience and he was right yeah. on, on the money and he's just got better since then. So it takes that time. We've seen someone like Science being able to, as I say, mould themselves to new teams very quickly. He's been, you know, Toro Rosso, Renault, McLaren, Ferrari. You know, he's been able to pick up the sort of, you know, skills and abilities very quickly. But uh, I had a, I listened to a really interesting chat, weirdly with Kamui Kobayashi. What Bluffy, a throwback. Uh, what a who? On, on, on Beyond the Grid. And uh, he was talking about the fact that, you know, this is the real part of Formula One. Yes, it does depend on what car you're in, but it depends as a driver how you gel with the car. And he made your an ability interesting... Ability to adapt. Ability to adapt, but also how it suits you and your driving mm. style. And he made a really interesting observation about Verstappen. We all know that that, that Red Bull is very twitchy, very oversteery, very sharp, and very to the point, which is why so many of these second drivers have really struggled to get on top of it um, because it's just, you know, set up in a different style, which Max Verstappen clearly loves. And he said, the thing about when you gel perfectly with a car, you're able to deliver 110%. And that's what 
makes you the superstar. That's what we've seen with Hamilton. That's what we see with Verstappen. That's what we saw with Schumacher and Ferrari, et cetera, et cetera, is the driver and the car are perfectly gelled and bonded. At which point the second driver, the teammate, often doesn't gel with the car because it's so suited to that one driver and the team push it in that direction. And each driver has their own style. You can only change your style and your format so many ways. And Kobayashi was saying, whilst Verstappen is extracting 110% from that Red Bull, could he extract 110% from a Mercedes? Mm. Kobe said, I don't think that he would. He would extract yeah. 100% and he'd be very fast, but he wouldn't be 110%. So he could still win championships, he could still achieve, but it's all about that perfect gelling. And you're right, I think Lando hasn't known anything else in McLaren. He's come in, that's his Formula yeah. One experience. And over the last few years, he's been able to just extract more and more. And, he, and that's what he knows. Danny Rick, who spent the last few years changing teams and having to relearn things has now stepped into a car that potentially, according to Carl Science, is odd. Mm. And he's just like, he can't quite calibrate his brain yet to drive around that potential car. I think there are so many, I'm just thinking whilst listening to you, there are so many factors that we're missing in the sense that when you're changing teams so much, you're also changing a hell of a lot more than just driving the car. All of the personalities that are in your team, um, you're probably changing where you live. Therefore, you're probably going to be away from your family. And it goes back to the first time I realised that with footballers and realised why sometimes when they move teams and potentially from a French team to an English team, how much their performance can change based on just their personal situation, being away from family, sort of being by yourself, you're in a different country, not speaking the language. Um, so even though Danny Rick is now with McLaren and was with Renault, like there's just so many pieces to the puzzle that aren't quite fitting together yet. Whereas like you say, with Lando Norris, he's come in. That's all he knows. It's all he's ever known. Yeah. So he's, he's putting in fantastic results, which is testament to the driver that he is right now, yeah, the yeah, caliber yeah. that he's operating at. But the, the point which Kobayashi made, Kobayashi made that I hadn't considered is, you know, as great as a driver is an Alonso, a Hamilton or whatever, until they've gelled with that car, they might be operating at 100% their natural raw ability, mm. but can you go that further length to be the dominant team member, to be the championship contender, et cetera, et cetera. And Danny Rick's on the opposite end of that spectrum is when he gets to a level where he can be 100 and 100, can he stretch further? But at the moment, he's at like 75. Mm, yeah. um, so it needs time. I think he's as frustrated as we are as fans. Yeah. Um, Alonso's clearly in the same position, just can't get his head around these cars, this new car and the new tires and stuff like that. So I, I think Alonso, maybe we're not going to see reach the heights of previous years. I think he might have a bit of a Schumacher comeback, you know, yeah. where he's going to sit there. He's probably adding a lot to the team, blah, blah, blah. But he's I, selling merch. Selling much, as you said at the beginning of the year, <laughs> so controversially. Danny Rick. Sorry, Alonso fans. Sorry, Alonso fans. I'm not sure there are that many these days, actually. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Danny Rick, it did take him about six months to get up to speed in the Renault in 2019. So yeah. I, th I think, you know, it does give him time. I'm yeah. hopeful that it's going to get there. Uh, 11th and 10th, the Alfa Romeos. Now, this is the interesting thing that I sort of wanted to know is Ferrari's strong weekend did also see Alfa Romeo performing well, mm. which made me question whether somehow Ferrari managed to turn up that wick on that engine. I don't know what they could have done or, or were able to do or whether just the characteristics of the engine suited the track, but it was a strong race for Alfa yeah. Romeo. Um, and, you know, right at the sort of border of the points there, but looked more competitive at certain Didn't stages. did Giovinazzi jump? Giovinazzi was in five, Q3. Five or six points? For, five or six places during the race? I don't know, no, because he started in P. Did oh. he start P10? He started in the in, in oh, the top, top oh. ten. I'm getting confused with a graphic that I saw that followed all of the drivers. You know, mm, like mm. The, as it goes through the laps and laps, yeah. and it just looked like Alfa Romeo's were all over the place. But I'm not sure. I can't remember their strategy. But you know, it was, yeah, it was saw, a solid. I saw it, yeah. I was like, yeah, fair play. It was a solid performance from yeah. them. Uh, Ocon as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he is he's doing well, Ocon. Yeah. But but is that the car? Is that him? We don't know. You know, if you base it on his. Uh, you know, his season last year, you, you, it doesn't look as special as he mm. maybe once was considered, but he's starting to bang in results, so yeah. pretty good. Uh, Lance Stroll, quiet weekend for old Stroll, Be I yeah, think. Yeah, very quiet A couple weekend. of mistakes. We can just go back to his comment he made at his first Monaco. It's much easier on the PlayStation, <laughs> so, uh, I can so understand, I can understand why he probably had a quiet weekend. Probably <laughs> waving to his mates on the boat as we talk about, Dad! Oh, man. Dad! I could have done with that jacuzzi today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep the champagne for me, guys! Um, and then we come on to Lewis Hamilton. Now, I don't want to fanboy too much here. And I don't want to make excuses. He had a bad weekend. Yeah. You know, I don't think his head was in the game. He was frustrated. The car obviously wasn't where it wanted to be. 
he wasn't allowed to, or he wasn't able to show any of his, you know, um, what was that noise? Can you hear a weird noise? Yeah. It's not going to be picked up on the microphones, no. but it sounded like a baby screaming. I think it's somebody in the garage uh, next door. Okay. Anyway, um, sorry, that was just actually a baby. Yeah, it was very distracting <laughs> for a second. <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But yeah, so the only time we got to see any kind of Lewis Hamilton skills or ability was when he went for his fastest lap moment mm, and he was yeah. a second and a half quicker than anyone else, but in clear air. Yeah. Um, and I do think this was a large factor that you simply cannot overtake at Monaco these days. And also maybe the crap that no one was willing to try and overtake. The men, he just sat there. He got screwed yeah. over by the strategy. Mercedes were not mm, on their game this yeah. weekend with strategy. And he just couldn't do anything. So comes home in P7. Yeah. Is not what much, it is. Not much more to say, really. Just, um, yeah. And from a Lewis fan, I wasn't actually that fussed. It's nice to see Max pick up all of those points, jump ahead in the world championship. Because then I feel like what I was saying about Charles Leclerc, all that's going to do is drive Lewis on for the next race weekend. So we're just going to get back into the back and forward, the dogfight, and this will only spur him on, which will eventually make the fight better. So I said, I think I said it on Twitter, I want uh, Max to pick up maximum points here just for the, yeah. just for the championship for a, fight. Great for a season, right? Yeah. And, you know, what we haven't seen in the last six years or so with Mercedes is a season-long fight like a proper mm. dogged swaying back and forth fight if you look back to the ferrari mclaren years of the early noughties um or you know williams mclaren years or red bull and ferrari is you know proper season-long slogs mm. mercedes have never had to do that yeah they might have had a couple of rivals here and there where ferrari had some strong openings to the year whatever it might be but what we're seeing here is potentially mercedes under pressure and how are they going to react to that? And in Monaco, they didn't react well. No. We saw in Spain, they reacted fantastically. But in Monaco, it wasn't there. They've, I don't think their cars have ever massively suited Monaco. Lewis himself, I think it's one of those tracks he wishes he was way more successful at, but he actually hasn't really mm. been that great at. Because yeah. um, he idolizes Senna so much, I think he wants to be you know, the master of Monaco. It just doesn't work out for him. And yeah, it was just a relatively nondescript weekend, but, but a great weekend for the championship <laughs> yeah. to see him solo yeah, down. Yeah. So uh, yeah, from that point of view, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Uh, Pierre Gasly, P6, fantastic. Yeah. Great qualifying, great result. Really strong he for loves him. It. I think he loves it there. It, it, it's been a quiet few races for Pierre and yeah. this, was a, this was what we wanted yeah. to see from him. Did really well, put his, put his name back in the hat for, for the future. And then I think my second favourite result and apparently a fan favourite result. I was going to say, yeah. This P5, was... Sebastian Vettel, yeah. driver of the day. Unbelievable. Legend. <laughs> we were all like, yes, yeah. he's back. He's back from the dead. Honestly, because was, <laughs> he was solid throughout free practice. Great qualifying. Was he P... Six, he, eight he was behind just behind Lewis. yeah just behind Lewis so, so he was on the same he was on the same, same row yeah um, so great qualifying from him definitely looked way more competitive than Stroll throughout yeah. the weekend good strategy and then that 
coming out of the pits alongside Gasly and just absolutely <laughs> yeah. pinning the throttle up the hill. Just and then we the, got, yeah, then we oh. got the stroll, instant replay. <laughs> I don't know what was up with that Monaco Grand Prix director that weekend. Lauren Stroll got played. Yeah. No. Show Aston Martin, <laughs> yeah. whilst his other driver was about to do a key yeah. overtake for the race like, weekend. Two cars going into one corner is the best action we're going to get in Monaco. And it was close. It, it was, was tight. so tight. Yeah. The only real overtake of the weekend. Yeah. Or the race, at least. Yeah. And yeah, cut away. I mean, Drag race up to Casino Square. What more could you want? Shocking decision by the yeah. TV director. But yeah, it was great. And that really was our kind of only action. <laughs> from the, Apart from Schumacher <laughs> lunging up the inside of Mazepin. Um, yeah, on that one. <laughs> so, great from Seb. He looked happy and buoyed. His radio messages were uplifting. And we've... We did see in... Was it Spain? He was slightly starting to get on pace, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, so I think he had a few battles as well. I'm hopeful that this is the sign of Seb mm. getting on top of this car. And the, the Aston car. Martin car kind of coming into its own a little bit because we realised at the beginning of the season they were talking a lot about how they got screwed over. So fingers crossed, they've kind of figured some things out and, and this is positive signs for Vettel. Your, your jumper Aston looks Martin. quite like uh, Aston Martin colour, that top oh. half. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I didn't know. Mm. On brand. Uh, that <laughs> luminous green bit is very AMR. It's very in your face, isn't very it? Very AMR. I'm a fashionable guy. You, what are, can I you, say? you are a fan. P four Sergio Perez um, did what he needed to do in the race, I suppose. Shocking qualifying, mm. <laughs> um, but you know to get up to P four. Okay, so th- let's get into it now because he was closing in on Norris, and I would say he had the pace yeah. advantage yeah, on Norris, yeah. right? But I think my feeling for this entire race was none of the drivers were even prepared to attempt an overtake this year in Monaco. Mm-hmm. We all know it's difficult. We all know it's near impossible because of the form, because of the format of the cars, the size of the cars, and the layout of the track. But we have seen in previous years at least some attempts on yeah. overtaking. Take the, the odd lunge. Was it twenty nineteen or whenever we were last there? Yeah, was, uh, what Verstappen? Verstappen yeah. trailing Hamilton, yeah. and you know, it, so it can. You can at least apply more pressure, but because it was so much tire management going on, and I think also because of the strategies, people were so terrified of a safety car potentially ruining mm. their race. No one was willing to try that. And I do feel like with Perez and chasing Norris, maybe he even Red- him so fast. But maybe Red Bull were like, don't do anything. Because if you do, and there's a safety car, Lewis is going to fly up the order and then we're screwed in yeah, our championship yeah, points. Yeah. And I just think they said to him, just sit there. Yeah. You're fine. Like try and put some pressure on, but just sit there. Like it was surprising that. And that's what I felt let down by as a fan watching. I knew it was going to be processional, but I just think that... All the drivers, the minute lap one was done, were like, cool. Yeah. Just got to finish the race now. Yeah, yeah. And I I kind of felt like, yes, the drivers are really pushing and they definitely weren't coming off the pace. Like, just you could tell from the lap times. I did kind of feel like they weren't risking anything. And that's kind of, yeah, covering your point. I kind of, I felt the same. And I'm sure a lot of other audience members probably felt the same. It, it meant that, yeah, unfortunately, we just had this very this very sort of boring race. But uh, we ended up with an incredible podium yeah. uh, for, for, for fan favourites, for the championship this season. Is, this, for is, this is Monaco, like, all over. Every single time you get this really exciting buzz around the Saturday, and we got a little bit of a slither of excitement around the Sunday just before the race started. Then two hours of, like, just watching cars go around in a circle, not doing anything, and then all of a sudden the checkered flag drops and then we all realise that we've got a bloody awesome podium. Everyone goes mental. Yeah. That's so good. I can't wait for next year. <laughs> but yeah, it was cool to see those three on the podium. And it felt like... Can you imagine Jimmy's that night with all oh those three? Oh my God. In? People, if you don't know, Jimmy's a big club in Monaco, <laughs> which is where all, all the action happens. <laughs> Can be a little bit I'm chaotic. never there. I just yeah. sit on Instagram yeah, the just, morning <laughs> after. <laughs> I've never been. I've never it's been. It's actually videos from Seb. <laughs> Seb Delaney has a VIP membership to Jimmy. Oh, he does. Um, but yeah, it He's was got a loyalty card. It, it felt like <laughs> with free drinks for life. It felt like you can tell the coming of the youth. Yeah, this race weekend, I think, like with Lewis struggling with Ricardo, so, yeah, this was the moment for a lot of the young and new talent to really shine, and they did. And mm. and it felt like this new generation, this new era of this is maybe what Formula is going to be for the next five, six, seven years. The likes of a Leclerc, Verstappen, a Norris, a Science, etc. Um, and to touch on Lando. Just, he's nailing it, isn't he? He's P- just clinical. P3 in the championship yeah. now. As I th- we, it seems like he's really got to grips with that car and he just knows how to extract the maximum in a very consistent way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is now what Perez should be, which is 
he's the he's the next man. If there's anything ever goes wrong, he's right there. Yeah. Fourth or fifth or whatever, ready to scoop up a podium, ready to scoop up maximum points. And we're seeing it now in the championship in P3. And I don't want to get carried away, but if McLaren were to keep developing that car throughout the season, Mercedes have already said that they're sort of scaling back a lot of their development. There is a chance that he could at some point become a bit of a championship contender, a rogue outside choice. Because if he keeps banging in these results, all it takes is a couple of unreliable races for Max and for Lewis. He's going to be right there. He's only 20, 30 points behind, I think. To be able to drive with that much experience, because let's be honest, he's not got that much in comparison to quite a lot of the other grid. Um, And to do it consistently and under pressure, because he got on the, I think one of his... um, pit crew got on the radio it was around like lap 60 out of 78 right no mistakes get your head down this is where all of the drivers sort of like cock up Mm. and then five laps later he saw Perez in his mirrors and he just basically told his pit crew shut up I'm getting my head down and driving and he did it wasn't like Perez just sat behind him and just hugged his rear bumper for the rest of the race and made a few lunges there was no way around for Perez like Lando made it incredibly hard for him uh, I agree, and I think it was. I think it's very impressive drive, but an an unbelievably impressive season so far. And Do you think it's because he's calmed down his his banter, his memes, his social, his is, twitch? He, he hasn't really. I mean, it's still there. It's just been formalised more now with is it yeah. Team Quadrant and things like that. So yeah. it's all it's all got a bit more of a sort of. Which definitely uh, means there's people running it for it. One million percent. <laughs> um, but but I, there was a, there was definitely a time where I reckon Zach Brown sat him down and said, "Right, enough of the jokes." If you want to, if you want to be successful, and I mm. reckon Zach Brown is the sort of character that would have done that. I know he kind of sees him as a bit of a, a son figure, father son relationship. Um, but there must have been that conversation at some point because so, he was uh, he was coming off track and posting for, like emojis of milk. Yeah, no, the, the, his first year and a half, <laughs> it was a bit of a it joke. was too much. Yeah, was, and and he got a lot very, of slack for it, but he was still still yeah. nailing the results. That's what I think people lost or forgot is. I oh, think he people, was still pulling stuff out the back. The old, you know, old Formula One, um, you know, the David Coulthard and things like that. Yeah. I think were upset that someone could come in, a bit like when Lewis used to party, or still does really, but he used to party so much and then deliver and turn up and get poles and wins. And, yeah, yeah. Or if he didn't, oh, it's because you were partying. Yeah, like, well, I was yeah. partying when I won all those races yeah. as well. So it was the fact that someone could come in and do all that and then be so jokey and, mm. and on social media and whatever. I think Lando still has that. I think, think his personality has changed. I think what he might have realised is, too, I think firstly, he's become way more confident. Mm. I think he's been boosted by the confidence in himself and around the team. And I think he's realised what goes into being a, a proper Formula One driver. Yeah. Not, you know, he's always had skill and ability and he can drive fast, but to do what he's doing now, to be insanely consistent, to put yourself in a position where you're sort of real outside championship contender in a car that shouldn't be, mm. you have to wholly focus on that and so whilst he still is streaming and oh, doing yeah. all these things like I that don't think his personality has absolutely not changed um i just get a different vibe from his social yeah and i wonder i see i disagree that zach brown would have said that because i think zach does i think he's kind of in love with lando and i think he <laughs> likes the whole like band i wonder whether someone within a management team or uh, whatever it might be just went look let's give you an outlet for this let's formalize it yeah. let's make it into something so that you can focus on racing 100% and then you'll have your time to come and do this and we can help run that rather than him, as you say, going home and spending two hours creating a nice meme or, or cause that's what, I mean, he, we know what goes into creating some of those <laughs> yeah. gifs and things like that that he was doing. Uh, and he just seemed to be doing that between practice sessions. So, <laughs> so. Well, this weekend Lewis posted an ad for a, fr- know, for oh, a that fridge. Was that was Just so before awful. qualifying. I mean, that was the um, worst thing I've ever seen in my just life. Just looking through the window of my fridge at what I've got for lunch. <laughs> You know where his priorities were at. But yeah. It will definitely be prepared by my personal chef. <laughs> congrats to Lando anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Peter, another man we have to say big congrats to, Carlos Sainz. Now, I am impressed by Carlos Sainz. Yeah. As we mentioned, he's moved a lot of teams in mm. recent years. He's always been able to seemingly get on the pace very quickly. And since day one in that Ferrari, he's been putting pressure on Matt, um, Charles Leclerc. And I think helping to really push that team forward. And what he's doing so cleverly, clever, clever guy. Clever Carlos. Clever Carlos. I I can see that catching on. Is really playing the team game in every way, except on track or Mm. maybe in his mind where he's definitely out for himself. I think he's realized that Charles is this golden boy. 
Ferrari are obsessed with him. They love him. He's clearly got all the skills and the talent. I think Carlos thinks he's as quick. Maybe he even thinks he's yeah. quicker than Charles. So he's not worried in that sense. But he knows there's no point in going in there, either being the number two driver or being the aggro Bottas. Oh, you can't come through. I'm Bottas. <laughs> I eat porridge. <laughs> so instead, he, I think his team radio at the end of the race was so telling about his mentality right now. Which essentially, let's face it, he thought he could have been on pole. And you've got to say by practice pace, he might have been. I yeah. still think Charles would have pipped him, but he <laughs> might have been. And he gets P2, solid result for himself. And it did put some pressure on Max at certain times. But the first thing he said was, I know that you're all going to be upset because Golden Boy's not yeah. in the race. And it's been disappointing. But congratulate yourself on your work for making this car so good. It was not about him at all. It was all about them. He was very empathetic. And I think as the Ferrari team, they must go, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, Kurt, thank That's you so much. Such a sweet message. Like a nice warm hug. Yeah. And these points in the bag. And oh, that made me feel really special. Yeah. <laughs> that would do a great- I did do a good time, I, did, oh, I like that guy. <laughs> yeah. So whilst I don't think he's going to do, I don't think he's going to be able to ever get Ferrari to step away from the chosen one. Mm. He's just doing a very good job at ensuring Securing he's not- Number two, yeah, you know that he's he's yeah. really there, and the, yeah. mo the moment you fall into team orders, let Leclerc through, you're always going to be the number two. Exactly that, but also your mentality. If he'd come on and be like, "Yeah, man, like P two, like best weekend ever," yeah, the team might be like, "Yeah, but Charles yeah, didn't start," yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then he would be like, "Oh yeah, cool, cool, yeah, cool." Yeah. But he's just clever enough to to realize that the atmosphere in the team would have genuinely been. Well, Charles could have won. Yeah. So like, cool that you got P2, mate. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If yeah. our golden boy had started, he could have won. So yeah. clever, clever Carlos strikes again. <laughs> clever Carlos strikes again. <laughs> and good result. I mean, at one point, he was catching Verstappen by one and a half yeah. seconds a lap. Really annoyed me that Brundle and Crofty didn't pick up on it. Literally came out, I think the gap after the pit stops was like nine seconds and he got it down to 2.8. Yeah. He was rapid, but obviously Verstappen was managing the gap because then he just went... Yeah, <laughs> um, but it was impressive to see, and yeah, just a, just a really good weekend from Science, and I'm excited by where he's going in that Ferrari. I see it more as a, let me think, like uh, Massa Schumacher or maybe Massa Raikkonen at their peak partnership, rather than a one and a two. A one and a two. Mm. I think they're going to push each other forward and. He's going to get quite, some race wins. He's yeah, I'm quite glad that he's proving me wrong because I did come out and say, well, I don't think Carlos Sainz is a Ferrari driver. I don't see him as a Ferrari driver. It still um, doesn't quite gel for me though. Yeah, it does. Him in the gear, Cause, uh, yeah, because he looks so Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who should he be driving for? Yeah. Um, There's no more HRT. Cupra. Cupra. <laughs> in oh. Dakar. Could you? <laughs> <laughs> That's his dad. Um, but yeah, very cool to see. And then uh, numero uno, uh, Max Verstappen. So, I mean, exactly what Max needed to do. Uh, didn't he, make the mistakes that... He, he did kind of have a gifted to him. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Which, I mean, is not me being a Max hater. Just because I'll be in the doghouse with my girlfriend more than anything. Uh, she's a massive Max fan. Um, <laughs> Aren't all girlfriends. So annoying. <laughs> But um, yeah, at the end of the day, there wasn't really much more that he needed to do. No, it was super solid. It looked like he was totally on top of it. Say, As you would expect from him. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he might make a mistake. He might end up in a barrier. Like nowadays. Yeah. It's not what we see. And I feel like Brundle and Crofty were trying to like, oh, that's where he crashed. He goes past <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Remember when he crashed there? <laughs> yeah. When he crashed there? But nowadays. Oh, we've got this replay somewhere. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't seem to do that. It's solid. He saw the opportunity. He yeah. knew what he had to do. And, and, we so needed this. I think everyone thought, oh, it'd be great if they could get a win, mm. Lewis in second, but we so needed this for the championship. First time he's led the championship in his career, which is kind of nuts to think of and to say. And races like this are key to see us, you know, have a championship battle throughout the year. And they've got to keep applying this pressure, but yeah. also nailing these moments, stealing these opportunities. So it was great. I do think, I know I keep saying that, I think Leclerc would have kept the pole anyway, but... But Max did look like he had it in him if he if he really managed to get on top of it to maybe steal the pole. So I do think the victory kind of looked his throughout most of the weekend. Yeah. But as we know, because as we saw, no one was overtaking. Yeah. So if Charles had been on pole and got away into that first corner first, mm. I think, you know... Because Max didn't really get a good start. Didn't like, really Bartas, get a good start. Bartas got a really good start. 100%. And Max covered him so fast. So fast. Um, that, yeah, it kind of defeats the theory of... 
Max would probably have lunged Leclerc into turn one. I don't think he probably would have. And I think Leclerc would have done, would just would not have let him pass. Yeah, he, a bit he's, like he's, Hamilton. He's a, good, he's a good enough of a driver to have put the car where he needed to. Oh, a million percent. And, and, At home. And that would have been, yeah, in a Ferrari, that would have been like, the end of it. He just never, so yeah. So, cool to see, and I say the podium was fun because all ex-teammates, essentially, yeah. all theoretically good mates from what we see online yeah. and social media, they all chat to each other, all yeah. call each other. And there was the jesting that we wanted to see, the sort of good camaraderie. And Leclerc so. was there to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Uh, which again was very clever from Charles. Yeah. Oh, so team, I love the team. Yeah. team uh, yeah, it's back. only because his flat is literally yeah. next door to Raskas. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, well, I might as well stay. Oh yeah, yeah. I ain't got long to go home. Um, but look, we, we said that we would talk about it. We kind of have to. Did this race once again, you know, put sort of, should we be asking the question of should Formula modern day Formula <laughs> no, One cars? No, I don't think we should. <laughs> we shouldn't be asking the <laughs> no, FIA. We can. We can. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so should gonna... we be racing at Monaco in modern Formula One cars? Um, it's not really a race. The Saturday is the Saturday is the race mm. done, and once the results are in of qualifying, it's kind of like well, that's how they're that's how they're going to finish. And I think as Formula One fans, that's what we expect. Every now and again, obviously, we get safety cars. We get the odd pit strategy that might change or the odd mistake that might move the order around a little bit. As from a, from a spectator point of view, those two hours are the dullest two hours of the entire weekend. Usually. We've experienced Monaco Formula One weekend as uh, fans actually being there. And one of the most exciting elements for us as supercar fans is the moment that the, the cars actually get off the track and they open the roads back up because then it becomes a street party filled with supercars. And it is one of, if not the most electric, incredible atmospheres I've ever experienced on any weekend. It's not just Formula One. It becomes a really special environment. It's being there. Yeah, it's, and I think... I think that's part of why drivers love it, as well as it being a completely different discipline to a normal track and they have to dial their skills in a different way. Um, we're never not going to see Monaco. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I would love to see a slight redesign of the circuit and this island that's being built. I've mm -hmm. heard these rumours that there's going to be a straight out there. There's going to mm -hmm. be DRS over to the island that gives the drive. It will make a more exciting race. And I think I said this to you in WhatsApp, but I do believe that we should have a sponsor come on and give us enough money to go down to Monaco to reroute the circuit, to look for overtaking opportunities. Give us two Formula One cars. <laughs> and hopefully we can find uh, a few extra overtaking opportunities go on look, look i i we saw last year that formula one can survive without monaco mm -hmm. it's not irreplaceable and we did get some amazing races the championship last year was amazing without monaco i just hope that fia see what we've all seen this weekend and change it up a little bit to make it a more enjoyable race and a more enjoyable race weekend. Did I summarise that one? Yeah, you, you know, you did very well. I think what I, I would disagree on you in terms of changing the track layout, because I think Monaco is what it is because of the track layout, because yeah, of yeah. the sights, I'm not, the I'm sound. Not, I'm not like, saying go up to La Turbie. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, <laughs> <laughs> like, you cannot mess with that history, but evolve it into this time period, because this is... This, the race has been going on for years when cars were much smaller. Of course. Um, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's not just cars, it's the size of the cars. Because yeah. if you go back to previous years when overtaking was just as difficult, the physical size of the cars did mean that people could lunge slightly mm. easier. Um, I think for, for me, you know, if, if it's this kind of race that stands out by itself, it's very different, the, the cars behave differently, they've been set up differently, the format of it, everything is different about Monaco, right? So why not totally embrace that? Uh, why not basically scrap the race? Because I just have it as an exhibition. Well, no, for me, qualifying in Monaco, unbelievable. Yeah. The excitement, yeah. the skill that you can see. It's, for me, it's the only real place that you can see Formula One cars really being maxed out. It's visually so exciting to watch. And you can see where drivers are, are maxing out, where they're gaining in terms of lap pace and things like that. So... We're going to see this year these sprint races coming in for yeah. qualifiers like that. 
But instead, why not say Monaco? Be go-karts. No, no. <laughs> Just put them in go-karts. No, don't put them in go-karts. Or motorbikes. No. <laughs> Change the format of a race weekend and don't actually have the race. Right, yeah. Basically have two qualifying sessions or elongated qualifying yeah. sessions. A bit like, you know, the Indy 500 we're at the minute with the top nine shootouts and the last one. Yeah. Basically, so, cars on track at different times. Not, yeah. not 20 at the same time fighting for the same thing. Whatever it might be, in a sense, where essentially it's a time trial. Yeah. Essentially it's hot lap challenges on the Saturday Isle and Man Sunday. TT. Yeah, and you say it's a little bit exhibition. Like, you're right, Ironman TV, TT. So maybe it's average laps. So yeah. fastest five average laps, something like that, whatever it might be, because that was so exciting with Indy 500 last night. So I, I think why not embrace the difference of it? The fact that the, spe- the, the, the sport is moving forward. Clearly the actual race doesn't have... Well, it isn't as it doesn't. What's the point? It's a procession, yeah, as yeah. we know, and it really is becoming more and more processional. And the drivers are not willing to take the risks, but they are in qualifying, and qualifying is thrilling. So why not max that out? And as yeah. I say, see if you can exploit that even further and give it different points or the same yeah. points, whatever it be. And we can celebrate it for what it is. And it's this one weekend where it's always about raw pace and speed and ability. Just, as unique as that setting is, make the race unique. Make, yeah. make the weekend unique. Make it unique, and it's just the sound. And it's like still a Mon start. Yeah, <laughs> Le Mans start. <laughs> no, but I Cars think, I think average, you know, average like high speed laps. I say like, yeah, if, they're, if yeah. they're saying that they were all building up to this one lap, why not try and do that over five? Yeah. The concentration that we'll have to see, the skill, the blah, blah. And you could have, you know, two goes on a Sunday or, or whatever. Anyway. And the graphics would be insane. As, oh. Because you'd be focusing on that one car. So you could just have all, Unreal, of, the, all right? of all of the data, all of the statistics from a from a spectator's point of view. It would actually be more enjoyable to watch and track that one car as it goes round and just stagger them. And from the driver's point of view, the skill level is still required. Yeah. And actually, it, it's more rewarding because I think drivers would say, "Oh, well, you know, it's a test to drive for two hours around Monaco. Like that is, you know, the skill that it requires is amazing. But to drive five laps mm. consistently at a super high speed for maximum points." the concentration of that, they all build up to it for one lap on the Saturday. Yeah. Imagine if you have to do five on Sunday morning and on Sunday afternoon or whatever it might be, but I just- Should I, we say it's compulsory for them to all go out the night before as well? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all with a hangover. Um, that was a great story. So I've been listening to a lot of Beyond the Grid because I did this road trip last week and uh, they had a, oh no, it wasn't Beyond the Grid actually, it was after the um, Bring Back V10s, uh, which is another podcast. They had, channel. It's a good, good one. <laughs> and they had a, uh, Kimi Raikkonen's first ever engineer. Okay. And they went to Suzuka for the first time in his first season when he was 21 or something like that at Sauber. And he got to 130R and the engineer was like, you know, look, it's it's easily flat, 130R. You've got to pay attention, but it's easily flat. They went out for free practice. And I think, true, who was his teammate? Heidfeld. And he was doing flat straight away. But Kimi kept lifting. And he came in and said, the engineer said, Kimi, like, it's a bit weird. I told you it can be flat. And Nick's going flat. Why aren't you going flat? And Kimi said, come, come close. <laughs> In FB2, it will be flat, but I have a headache still. So <laughs> that was such a Kimi Raikkonen story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all in all, I did enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix weekend. Exactly. I enjoyed Thursday, this excitement that Ferrari had this pace. It was great seeing Monaco again. We're not, you yeah. know, first time for us, I don't know about you, for like five or six years that we haven't actually been. That's such a horrible thing to say, mm. but haven't been in Monaco. Like, oh, I couldn't. Yeah, you felt so weird not being in Monaco for the Grand Prix weekend. You've done a few of them more recently than I have. (laughs) Yeah. But it was was nice. Do you know what it was nice to see? Um, Not only fans, but also that little bit of buzz on social media from people that I know and follow, um, Supercar Blondie, Seb, those guys, to see the the classic celebs that have gone to Monaco F1, like Serena Williams, and like to be there. and, And I think it's a sign to see that everything's kind of getting back to a sense of normality. It was nice to see it happen at Monaco. I agree. I agree. No, it was, it was nice to watch. It's just unfortunately, very I actually dull, think this podcast race. has been more enjoyable than the race. Oh God. I've really enjoyed it. Well, anything I wanted to pick up on, which we didn't really talk about, so I just want to say very quickly, because we're going a little bit over on our time, right. time slot now, um, is at the end, do you not think Verstappen, either he hates David Coulthard or he could not have cared less about that victory. His mm. post-race interview, he was like standing there looking a bit pissed off and cold. And he was like, yeah, I just had to you know, manage the tires and just do the race. And that's it. Yeah, it's nice to win. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? Like, I, I, he was more bored by the race victory than we were by the race. Like, yeah. Something weird so happened is, there. Is, is, this the, is this the younger next generation not really caring about dominating Monaco? 
I, I don't know, maybe, but, but Sainz and Norris were ecstatic and we've seen all other victors, Rosbergs and Ricardos and Vettels, loving, mm. you know, winning Monaco. Verstappen, his initial reaction, his celebration yeah, was huge. Yeah, yeah. By the time he got to the interviews, either somebody had said something to him yeah. or he hated DC because... I, As d- I say, definitely he, doesn't hate DC, does he? He was so standoffish and so fed up. <laughs> and I was like, it's almost a bit rude to be mm. so unengaged and not just like, yeah, just, yeah. you know, like every other race, racing driver wins Monaco. Did you realise that he was late for his sim race that night? Maybe he was late for a sim race or maybe <laughs> Kelly PK said something, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm busy tonight, so no celebrating. <laughs> anyway, let's draw an end to uh, this episode of After the Checkered Flag, our Monaco Grand Prix review. I think, I think you know, we don't, we got our no, full episode out of it. We, was, yeah. <laughs> when Paul turned up today, I was like, this could be a really short episode. So I think we should cl- uh, pat uh, yeah. ourselves on the back. I think, I think we covered that nicely. We did. Uh, we will be back with you in some shape or form for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I am not around on the Monday after, so either we've got to record on the Sunday afternoon or virtually. So okay. we'll figure that out, but yeah. we will be back for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Lo- I love Baku. I know, I don't want to hype it too much, yeah, but, but it does yeah, tend to be an yeah. exciting race, which means nothing will happen. Um, <laughs> but we'll at least be able to talk about it. So yes, let us know your thoughts about the race below. Let us know what you think about Monaco in the future. Should they change the format? Should they just leave it as it is? Should we just cancel Monaco entirely? We want to hear from you. So yes, if you're watching on I'm YouTube, I'm championing go-karts. Stop, 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 stop chatting about go-karts. It's, <laughs> well, it's not Formula 1 at that point. It's go-karting. About go-karts. I do. Um, and if <laughs> you're listening- Back in the day, I was so good at go-karts. I was so fast. I was faster than Nachi Hamilton. Literally. <laughs> uh, and if you're listening to us, you can tweet us and use the hashtag after the checkered Didn't flag. Didn't you break your rib go-karting? I did. Yeah. Took me a while to recover. Thanks for learning that story. <laughs> uh, we will catch up with you soon. Make sure to subscribe, turn on notifications. You can find Paul at WallacePJW on most social media accounts. I'm at Seen Through Glass on most social media accounts. And yes, we'll be back with you for Azerbaijan. Bye-bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 